morning. There is no other name. Is that, is that good news this morning? We're going to be talking more about, I can't believe how uh, this morning's kind of fit together. And thanks, Sarah, for leading us this morning. Um, uh, just love being together. Love hearing voices together in unity, uh, proclaiming and praising the name of Jesus. I, I, I love it. Uh, it's a great way to start the day, isn't it? Much better than waking up to see the Socceroos. Although that wasn't too bad. All right. Uh, okay. Have you ever had? Have you ever had someone give you the silent treatment? Yeah, the silent treatment. Or uh, now, I want to be honest with you. Who knows that most of the time the silent treatment is actually a blessing for you? Does anyone feel that? <laughs> someone gives you the silent treatment, you're like, yes. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, but. But it is incredibly frustrating, isn't it, when it's someone that you love who kind of gives you a bit of a silent treatment. Anyone know what I'm feeling? Now, let me tell you, uh, I had never actually experienced the silent treatment in my life. Now, let me tell you why. As a teenage boy, you are ignorant of the silent treatment. (laughs) So it may have happened multiple times in my life, but I don't know. Who, who cares? When you're a teenage boy, oh, you're probably giving, it's great, actually. But it wasn't until I started dating my wife that I realized what the silent treatment actually meant. It meant hours on the phone trying to repair whatever I had done and getting nothing in return. Uh, all right, is there anyone who that's their way of dealing with conflict, giving the silent treatment? Anyone, anyone love giving the silent treatment? Anyone in the room? Come on, put your hands up. There's a couple who admit it. I, I, don't, I use this very loosely and this is probably really not, it's not that I trained my wife. I didn't do that. But I love now that if we have an argument, it's an argument. And we yell at each other. Anybody feel like that's a step forward? I feel like it's a step forward. Anyway, it doesn't happen very often. Like, Susie's, Susie's a, a very patient woman, let me tell you. Uh, but we're starting, we're starting a new uh, series today. We, we, have the, we had the Christmas trees up last week. Last week was officially the first week of Advent, which we... We're going to say today is. Are we okay with that? We'll just change the course of history. Today is the first, yeah, first week of Advent. Sounds good to me. But we're going to explore the Christmas story together. Um, and we're going to look this year, late last year. Can anyone remember what we looked at at Christmas? We looked at the characters of Christmas last year. Does anyone kind of remember that? We, we, we just, we learned last year that Joseph, what a guy. Like, there's all these good other stories, but did anyone else take that from Christmas last year? Two people are nodding at me. Everyone else is like, Christmas. Um, We're going to look at, over the next next few weeks, uh, the gifts of Christmas. What Advent actually looks at, the focus of Advent. We're going to look at hope and peace and joy and love together. 
who knows that Christmas can get complicated, can't it? Can get super busy. It can get super expensive. It it can be stressful. Does anyone kind of start to see Christmas trees in the shops about six months ago, and 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 there's actually a little bit you get a bit uptight, thinking, "Man, Christmas, you know, maybe it maybe for you it gets a bit stressful." Well, I want to tell you this this morning, and I want us to hold on to this this Christmas. The gospel message of Christmas is so simple. And it's such good news for each of us. And I, I want to ask that if we prepare our hearts, if we, if we come expectant into Christmas, I, I truly believe lives will be changed. I truly believe that God can transform us. That these gifts of Christmas aren't just nice words, hope, love, joy, peace. They're not just nice words. They're actually world-changing realities that Jesus brings. So we just need to maybe posture ourselves. That's been used a few times over the last couple of weeks. Become expectant that this is good news for us. So today, uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of context around Christmas. All right? That's, that's usually how we start. May as well get some background in there and And I want to talk about the environment in which we hear the Christmas story. The the gospel writers write into a a pre-existing environment. And we can come at our normal, like Christmas is a familiar story for a lot of us, and we can come with our own kind of mindsets, our own experience, our own circumstances. But let's, let's just have a look quickly at at where the writers are writing to. At the start of the gospel, we see in the Bible, Matthew's kind of first words is the first time that God had really communicated and spoke to his people for 400 years. We call it the silent years. And we look at in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, there's a gap of about 400 years of, of writing. The, the intertestamental period, that's a fun word. It, and every time I typed it out, it, it said it was an error in spelling. I'm like, no, that's right. Intertestamental period. Where the Israelites hadn't heard a, a voice from the prophets. That God had kind of given the Israelites a bit of the silent treatment. Is See the link from the start, silent treatment? Hey, hey, you've on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I shouldn't have explained it, but, you know, makes it funnier if you explain it, right, Jacob? Yeah. Uh, so this is like this 400 years. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God was completely silent. It just means that we don't have the writings of the prophet in that time or from the prophets in that time. And I like to think that that was maybe a, a time of preparation, that there was a time of anticipation as to God was, was up to something. So there's like a 400-year gap of, of writing, and, and, and we, uh, so we start at the Gospels beginning, and, and Luke 2 tells us that at the time that he's writing, the period in which we hear about the birth of Jesus, that Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome, that he was the Caesar of Rome. 
Now, why does that matter? Well, it, well, it, it tells us a bit about the times, right? Doesn't it? Yes? During that 400 years of silence, well, actually, the Israelites had been under multiple different rules. The, the Persians, the Persians had allowed them to kind of set up the temple again. And then from the Persians, then came the Greeks. And the Greeks had kind of ruled over. And then we hear that the Romans had kind of taken over. Now, Caesar Augustus was the heir to Julius Caesar. Does anyone kind of know some Roman history in the room? I'm looking at Axel. I'm sure he knows some. Uh, am I right? No. Could be, could be, okay, that's all right. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the heir to Julius Caesar. Everyone's heard of Julius Caesar, right? But actually, actually, Caesar Augustus was probably a greater Caesar than Julius was. In fact, he expanded Rome's territory quite a bit, quite a bit more. He set up better infrastructure than Julius Caesar ever had. The road network had been, had been built. Um, and, and he goes down as, as probably the greatest emperor that Rome has, has ever had. He, he expanded their territory, like I said, which included Egypt. That's, that's kind of like a big deal that, that they had Egypt. Um, but it happened through military might. And, the, you know, the Roman roads happened. Uh, uh, but, but Caesar Augustus was the heir to Julius Caesar, like I said. He wasn't actually Julius Caesar's son. Julius Caesar didn't have an heir. Uh, he was actually the great nephew of Julius Caesar, who had adopted uh, Augustus. He went by a few different names before Augustus. Um, but the world was kind of controlled by the Romans at that time. Augustus even pushed into uh, against the Germans at the time, Germania at the time. He, he conquered the Alps. He, he did a lot. But for the Jews living in Israel at the time, Augustus was not favourable as a leader. The Jews actually experienced really high taxes. Uh, Some scholars believe that the taxes were about 87%. That they would have to uh, give over like 50% of of their their grains or what they grew. That there was another taxation on some other things. It It was a tough time to live. That actually, as the Jews, they experienced quite a lot of violence. That um, there was a there was a kind of an uprising in the in the in the north around Galilee, where twenty four different people claimed to be the Messiah, which kind of happened. And, and Caesar Augustus wasn't very happy about this, and kind of ordered, you know, reveal yourself if you think you're the Messiah. And no one did. So his punishment to the people of that town was that he crucified 2,000 of them along a road. He was a brutal, violent leader. And the Israelites were copying it. Not only that, Augustus wasn't just a, a, a senior like political figure. He wasn't just kind of the, the head of the armies. But actually, Caesar Augustus had moved this, this state of emperor to a religious state as well. That he sat at the top of the belief chain. Now, the Romans had lots of gods. But what had happened is that at, at his death, 
that Caesar Augustus was named a Roman god. So there was kind of this ultimate authority that rested in Caesar, that he was called, in fact, after his death, he was called the son of God. That the, some of the words that we sing and we attribute to Jesus, king of kings, that was actually attributed to Caesar Augustus. That there were all these sayings. It was an interesting time for the Jews. So the Jews are under the oppression of the Romans, which was impacting their very daily life. The Jews were in a state of waiting. They hadn't heard from like a major prophet in hundreds of years. But they were waiting for someone who might be able to rescue them. It was a tough time for them, but they were waiting in hope, we hear. I don't know for you guys, this idea of waiting in hope, especially in a tough time. I don't know if anyone who, who has ever felt a bit like that, that in a tough time, you were, just, you were just waiting in hope. Things are tough. You're holding on in hope that things will get better Just hang on for a couple more minutes. Maybe things might improve. Now, uh, we're probably a bit different in how we hang on to that hope here in the room today. And for some of us, there's a couple of deals, ways that we kind of deal in hope. Bear with me. You with me still? Yeah. And the first way is, is wishful thinking. Sometimes we get caught in wishful thinking, don't we? We go, I'm in a tough situation. Man, it would be good if I won the Powerball this week. It's a throwback to Dad's preach a few weeks ago. But it's wishful thinking, right? In fact, it's pretty hard to win the Powerball if you don't put a ticket in. But somehow I sometimes think, maybe I'll win it this week. Yeah, it's totally wishful thinking. So, so we can sometimes get caught up in hope that it's just wishful thinking. It's just fanciful thinking. Well, maybe things will get better. Or we can, or we can do, we can work harder in hope. We can work harder in hope so that we might try and fix the things so that the future gets better. Do, do you know what I mean? It was the same with the Jews, and I'll I'll tell you how the Jews were waiting in hope. You see, some people had put their their hope in in people claiming to be the solution to their problems. Whether that be political figures, we hear stories of of Jewish revolutionaries, that the people, people were sick of this oppression. They put their hope in maybe some revolutionaries or religious leaders to lead them out of it hoping that those people might rescue them. Really, it was wishful thinking. The Roman Empire was strong. It was a big empire. And then we hear of maybe another group of people who who decided that they're going to put their hope in all the religious law. And we hear about the Pharisees. 
who, who tried to live by these 613 different laws, hoping that if they worked hard enough in hope, that God would be happy enough with them to rescue them. Well, about 700 years before we, we enter the New Testament text, the gospel text, Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied of a coming Messiah. And we're going to read through that together. This Messiah would rescue them from their oppressors. This Messiah would bring peace. This Messiah would, would make us right with God again. This Messiah would restore the world back to how it was supposed to be. So we're going to look at Isaiah, 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 Isaiah 9, starting at verse 6. We're going to look at 6 and 7, uh, looking from the NLT first. For a child is born to us. This is Isaiah prophesying about a coming Messiah. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I also want to read from the message uh, paraphrase for us as well, just to really capture this imagery. For a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be amazing counsellor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there'll be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all this. There was a hope that the Israelites had, and that was the coming of a Messiah that Isaiah had prophesied. Can we pray just as we kind of look at that text and see maybe what it might mean for us this morning? Is that okay? Let's pray. God, you are good. We thank you that you're with us. Holy Spirit, reveal what you have to say to us. Bring your truth, bring your uh, transformation here today. May we hear your good news for us and for our neighbourhood. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. There's a story in John that, uh, that I love. Like, like it's probably up there in my top kind of five Bible stories. Uh, and I've shared it many times before. And in fact, if you were here last week, Chelsea shared it as well. A bit of a short form on the story. And that's the story of the woman at the well. We know it. We've, we've heard it before. I'll give you a, a bit of a quick recap. But Jesus is, is walking with his crew. 
They stopped at a well uh, to get some rest. The, the disciples go off to get some food. It was midday. They were hot. They were, they were tired. As Jesus was resting at the well, a, a Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Jesus asked this woman, you know, because it was hot, if she could draw some water for him. Now, she was pretty shocked at, that Jesus was talking to her. A, a Jew talking to a Samaritan woman just, just didn't happen. And she asked Jesus, well, why are, you asking, why are you asking me? And Jesus said back to her, a weird response. If you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask me to draw you water and I would give you living water. This woman asked Jesus, well, that's, how do you get this water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. Uh, the well's really deep. Jesus tells this woman, anyone who drinks from this well will, will get thirsty again. But if you drink my water, you'll never, ever thirst again. The woman thinks that's pretty amazing news. If you're in the middle of kind of a pretty dry place and you think, I can have a drink of water, that's it. No, no more water. That's a, that's a pretty amazing deal. So she's like, Jesus, give me this water that you're talking about. And Jesus starts to reveal. Again, we've talked about this before. I don't think he was doing it in a harsh way. I think he was, he was doing it in a loving, revealing way. He just said, go get your husband and let's, let's talk about this more. The woman replied, oh, Jesus, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, in a moment of knowledge, says to her, that's right, you've, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're with now isn't actually your husband. And the woman was amazed that Jesus knew her situation. She was so amazed, in fact, that she went back to her, her village and told them all about this amazing man, Jesus, that she had met and this living water that he had to offer. This morning, the question is actually really simple. I said Christmas should be simple. What are you putting your hope in? What is it that you're putting your hope in? Because I, I want to suggest that we are all looking for things to cling to to grab onto, things to anchor ourselves to, right? Especially when things are tough in our life. We look for something to grab a hold of, some hope to hold on to. Now, for some of us in the room, and Sam kind of covered it last week, for some of us, when things are tough, we, we, we anchor ourselves to our finances. Sam kind of covered that so well last week around the value of money. Maybe we hold on to, well, if we can make enough money, that's, that's the hope that I've got. I can hold on to that during tough times. For some of us, it, it might be around family. Like, like my hope rests in my family. Maybe for some of us, our hope has rested in, you know, having kids and a family. For some of us, it might be that we hold on to the hope of our career. Where can our career, where can our job take us? For some, and I know what happens because it's kind of happening around the world. For some of us, we grab a hold of politics, hoping that politics or, or the next politician or that party can, 
can lift us up and give us hope for the future. For others in those tough times, the things that we cling to may be not as positive as those. Might lead us to being more susceptible to grabbing hold of old habits, to addictions, behaviours and and toxic relationships. I want to suggest this morning, the Samaritan woman in that story was obviously in a challenging time in her life, right? And we, we draw that conclusion, Chelsea pointed out last week, she was at the well at midday. She, she wasn't with all the other women. She was definitely a bit outcast in her village. So that wasn't going well. We also hear through Jesus' knowledge that maybe this woman was looking for hope in relationship. Five husbands. Now, some of those could have been tragic circumstances. We don't know. But she kept going back, looking for that anchor point of relationships, hoping again to grab hold of something to anchor her life in. So they were at a well talking about water. Now, water is good, right? Turn to the person next to you saying, water's pretty good. If you want to quench your thirst, water is best, right? Yeah. Can someone just turn to my parents and just say, water is best when quenching your thirst, not Pepsi Max? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll pay for that one later. (laughs) Water is good. Water stops you from being thirsty, right? Right? Please nod. Water stops you from being thirsty. For some time. For a short period of time, it helps us. But eventually, you're going to need some more water to top that up. These things that we put our hope in, well, some of these things are good, aren't they? Like those things, the list of things, like, like having good finances, well, that's, that's good, that's re- sensible. Having, you know, family, hope in family, that's, that's a great hope to have in. Your career, they, they're good. Some of the things that I mentioned were also destructive at times that we can put our hope in. But can I tell you this morning, just like normal water, they only give us hope for a short, finite time. And actually, the Bible tells us that these things, if we put our hope in them, well, they aren't actually solid ground. They aren't the thing to anchor our lives on. The Bible tells us that all of those things will actually decay. They'll rot. They'll pass away. They'll get eaten by moths and rust is what the Bible tells us. This morning, Jesus offers us something that doesn't pass. Something that is eternal, a living water, a living hope, a firm anchor point for us. And that is himself, our hope in 
the person of Jesus. Can I tell you, Jesus is the only thing we could grab a hold of during trying times that will remain forever. Hebrews 6, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us, this hope is an anchor for our soul. And I want to tell you in really simple terms for this Christmas, this hope is what Christmas is about. The Son born to us, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, a Saviour. Can I tell you, this God who seems like was kind of silent, who had been silent, wasn't actually distancing himself from us wasn't distancing himself from his people. He was moving closer to us. The message translation talks about Christmas and Jesus being God putting on flesh and moving into our neighbourhood. This morning, I want, to, I want you to have this hope. A hope in a God who isn't just distant, but a God who moved into our world, who moved into our neighbourhood, who is with us, who is a firm anchor point for us. We can put our hope in lots of different things. I want to tell you they will disappear. There's one thing that won't, and that is our God. This morning, I want you to have this hope, not just a fleeting hope, but an eternal hope, an anchor for our lives and an assurance of our eternity. And I'll tell you that this gift, this gift of Christmas, of hope, is available to you this morning. I want to pray and I want to pray that we receive this gift this morning, this gift of hope that comes with salvation. I I know that in this room, and I know because of conversations, that some of us have been doing it tough. I know that this year hasn't been an easy year by any stretch. I know the last couple of years haven't been easy years. I know that there's various different life stages in the room. There's a lot of newborns. Who knows that life is tough with a newborn, isn't it? I know that there's people uh, doing it tough, that the things that they hoped for this year didn't happen. I want to pray that you receive this hope, that it might be an anchor for our soul, that no matter what storms we go through, we know that we are anchored to the one hope that lasts for eternity. And so I want to pray. Are you good with that? And I want us to receive. I want us to to come at it, not going, oh, here we go. Here's another Christmas story about hope. But are you willing to anchor yourself in the hope of Jesus this morning? And then uh, 
And then we're going we're gonna to sing that song again, No Other Name. We're going to sing together. But, but I want to I leave it open for you to receive that gift this morning. And, and as we sing, oh, there'll be a couple of us standing at the front. And if you, you want prayer, we're, gonna, we're just going to pray for each other. Let's pray in these moments. God, you are good. You aren't a distant God. You are a God who moved into our neighbourhood, who experienced life just as we experience. And God, we thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection, that you are our living hope. We thank you that you are a hope that doesn't fade, that you are a hope that doesn't rust or rot, but that our hope in you is eternal. We thank you, Jesus, that you are an anchor point that we can place our lives on. In these moments as as we sit, Holy Spirit, come and just minister to us. And may we receive that gift of your hope this morning. Thank you that you freely give it. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you to, um, you can, you can, you can sit or you can stand, but we, we're going to respond. We're going to sing this. We're going to declare again that there is only one name that we can put our hope and our trust in. I, I also want to leave it open that if, if this is something that you're struggling with, or you just want extra prayer, I'm just going to stand to the side. And if you want to, make you well. I'd love to, to pray with you about this and for this. But let's sing together. I invite you to, to stand or sit if you need to, but let's let's engage in this way.